Thanks for joining Impact Boom. On this episode... The reasons why women find themselves in places of disadvantage, it basically covers the whole spectrum of human experience. And every woman's journey is very individual to her. So our services need to be tailored to where a woman's at in that journey. But the, the biggest common denominator across all groups is, and across all ages, is confidence and self-esteem. Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Hi, everyone. Welcome to our seventh panel for this series, Supporting Women in Impact-Led Business. This is a webinar series brought to you by Mama Got Skills and Impact Boom to facilitate candid conversations with purpose-led women. We would like to start by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land that we are gathering on today in Brisbane, that is the Turrbal and Yagara people. We recognize that these have always been places of learning, teaching and sharing, and we pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. My name is Carly Dole and I'm the founder of Mama Got Skills, an impact-led initiative that works to provide creative outlets to address postnatal anxiety and depression. I'm here to lead conversations with women who work in and with impact-led businesses because I want to learn more about the way in which women work and balance their knowledge and understanding within a system that once didn't even include them in the conversation. I'm keen to know if the changes that have been made are good enough particularly how women approach business in this age. So today we start with a 40 minute panel conversation and I would kindly ask that you leave your videos and sound off during that time. But then this will be followed by 20 minutes of Q&A time where you can speak to the panelists. Throughout today's webinar, we will open up the chat bar and invite you to leave questions and your comments around this topic. So let's begin. It is with great pleasure that I introduce to you our three incredible panelists today. So we'll start with Cinnamon. Cinnamon Evans is CEO of Ceres Community Environment Park and Chair of Senvic Social Enterprise Network Victoria. Cinnamon is an experienced leader in the social enterprise and not-for-profit sectors. Welcome, Cinnamon. Emma-Kate. Emma-Kate Rose is a program director at The Next Economy and in addition to this role, she also leads Food Connect, a social enterprise which has led the way in transforming the local food system for the past 14 years. Welcome, Emma-Kate. Thanks, Carly. Great to be here. <laughs> Good. And um, Joe. Joe Kavanagh is principal of Joe Kavanagh Consulting. Joe is an experienced non-executive director, board chair, chief executive and social entrepreneur committed to creating impact for social good. Welcome, Joe. Thank you, Carly, and thank you for the um, invitation. I'm delighted to be here with the Next Generation Leaders. So welcome. <laughs> now, I've given such a little brief intro about each of you, but I would really love to hear um, more in depth about who you are, where you've come from, where you are today. So Emma-Kate, would you like to kick us off? Yeah, sure. Hi, I'm also coming from Yagara and Turrbal country here in Mianjin or Brisbane. My background actually is in um, criminology and crime prevention um, with a specific sort of focus on social justice and community safety. Then I kind of had a bit of an epiphany when um, 
you know, a few life circumstances led me down the road of finding out more about the climate change issue. And so I switched careers, started a little car sharing service here in Brisbane and ended up meeting my current partner, Robert Peakin, through that. Um, and he heads up Food Connect, the social enterprise, which has now been running for 16 years. So I help out doing that. I'm also chair of QSEP, Queensland Social Enterprise Council. And I've recently taken a position with The Next Economy where we go into communities who are in transition economically um, and try to help them make decisions around what the best future is for them, for their local economy in terms of um, what's best for people and planet. So that's it, it for me right now. Uh, brilliant. Thanks, Emma-Kate. Um, Joe, can we hear more about your career and everything you've done in a nutshell? <laughs> Yeah, in a nutshell. <laughs> so I started my career um, as a social worker and um, in the 70s working in juvenile justice um, and uh, with children at risk and out of home care. And the things that I experienced, um, particularly once I'd become deputy director of a children's home, um, was about um, the abuse of children in out of home care and their lack of voice. And to my great... Um, joy and surprise, I was successful with a Churchill Fellowship application, which um, meant that um, my husband and I mortgaged everything and travelled with our uh, four children through the US and Canada following a research trail um, and learnt a huge amount from that, which really opened my mind and eyes to how much you can learn from other people in other contexts. And came back with, you know, first of all, trying to change a problem, but learnt more and more about preventing problems. So once I was a CEO, um, I had the opportunity to grow an organisation using enterprise, innovation, and a real focus on developing other people to kind of be able to create um, change. And now um, I stepped away from my CEO career at the beginning of COVID, terrible timing, um, to have to transition an organisation. Uh, but now I've got more time for family, sustainable living, and have started two small businesses, myself as a sole trailer and an Airbnb business, and um, chair of a board, the Good Things Foundation, um, involved with Swinburne Centre for Social Impact and the Community Services Industry Alliance Reform Council amongst other things. Oh, Melbourne Women Donors Fund, I wanted to mention too, because it's relevant to the conversation. <laughs> Great. Thanks, Joe. So, so much knowledge. Cinnamon, can we hear a little bit about you? Thanks, Carly. I was very fortunate as a young person in the 70s and 80s, growing up in Victoria on Wurundjeri land, to be taken out into nature um, often. My stepfather was a very enthusiastic outdoor person, camping, kayaking, sailing, skiing. Um, so I think that that was really, for me, very foundational in terms of my um, career. Um, I studied uh, secondary education, undergraduate, and then from there um, immediately started teaching at series, running environmental education programs in, in the early 90s. Um, at the time, the program was very small and series was very much a, you know, unknown um, sort of backwater of Brunswick, if you like, in the inner north of Melbourne. And so I was part of growing those programs and then uh, eventually became the leader of that team. 
um, and then eventually became leader of multiple teams at Ceres. The Ceres increased in size and, and scope, and um, I was appointed CEO um, in 2012. Um, so obviously, Ceres is a is a large organisation now with lots of parts. We're um, you know an, still an environmental education centre. We're also an urban farm. Um, we're also a social enterprise hub, and we're actually across four locations in in Melbourne, which um, although we're strongly identified with the main park. Um, I did postgraduate studies in environmental science, and then after that was very fortunate to do some study in group facilitation and collaborative management um, with the Group Work Institute of Australia, now known as the Group Work Centre, and my teacher, um, the late Glenn Oka absolutely has informed my leadership practice um, since then. Great. Thanks for sharing, Cinnamon. I feel like we are in good hands today, everybody. We're surrounded by such knowledge um, in this sector that we are trying to create profound change. So, Emma-Kate, I'm interested to hear from you how the landscape has changed for women in social enterprise since you began your journey and where the opportunities have arisen to better support females. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to tell because there hasn't really been a lot of studies done on women's involvement in mm -hmm. social enterprise. There's a couple around. Um, but, you know, when I started my first um, car sharing enterprise, social enterprise wasn't even a term in the in, in the ether, like it wasn't even a concept really. Um, and neither was the word impact. It wasn't around much either. Um, in fact, I, I remember specifically calling myself an eco-enterprise um, because of the environmental focus that I had. And, um, and talking to Rob too, he also identified Food Connect as an, as an eco-enterprise at the time. And it wasn't really until I think Social Ventures Australia started getting really active that they said, hey, guys, you, you, you're both social enterprises, you know, um, we could help. Um, so, you know, as the term's grown, obviously um, it's, it sort of uh, broadens the scope and impact is now obviously the most popular. And I think um, for women, um, you know, when you compare the stats between um, mainstream business and social enterprise, um, I think it's around, you know, 30% of mainstream businesses are led by women and 50% um, of social enterprises are led by women. So there's a natural kind of um, bias there already in social enterprise because a lot of women are very much naturally attracted mm. to combining entrepreneurial skills with um, particularly with causes that benefit firstly their own community. Um, I mean, I know my motivation personally has always been around my children's future. That's what got me that that made me stop doing criminology and start working with my children's future and doing something to create a better future for them because I saw the science coming out and I thought, holy shit, um, if I don't do something, then I can't look them in the eye when they're adults saying, mum, why didn't you do something about it when you knew full well that, you know, what was coming down the line. So I think when that light bulb gets switched on for a lot of women, we really have no choice. It's like you just can't unsee it. So I think there is a natural um, propensity for women to start social enterprise. And even if they don't identify as, as social enterprise, I think if you have a look under the hood and see how they run their enterprises, um, I think you would probably see a very different um, type of organisation, um, you know, in terms of the systems and the processes and the way decisions are made mm -hmm. in those enterprises. 
Um, so I think, you know, while I can't point to any specific stats, um, that is my current feel in terms of um, where we're at with social enterprise currently, particularly in Queensland. Um, there are a few things around, like there's the CEO movement, I'm sure many of you have heard about, where women are um, investing together to help out women um, with their entrepreneurial ideas and seed funding. Um, there's a great group which helped us out in, um, in our equity crowdfunding campaign a couple of years ago when we were buying um, our warehouse. Um, a women's giving group here in Brisbane um, set us up with all the costs associated with the legals and being able to take um, pay someone to run Food Connect while Robert and I led the campaign. Um, but I think a lot of those things are really relationship-based mm. and I mm. think you really need to, um, you know, it, it, it's sort of like it's not explicit, if you know what I mean. So I can't be just a regular female wanting to start a social enterprise here in Brisbane and knock on someone's door and say, hey, um, I'll have that women's package that you've got, thanks very much. <laughs> it doesn't exist. Very much um, focused on um, on relationships here. So, so, yeah, and I'm sure there are other things that I haven't mentioned, but um, I know that Impact Fund, which will be launched by Lisa Saganto, she's a leading philanthropist here in Brisbane. She wants to launch her Impact Fund in March, and I know that that is specifically focused not just on impact-led businesses, but with a big focus on women-led businesses as well. So, Thanks, Emma-Kate. I think relationships is the big thing. And, um, yeah, community. Are women better collaborators, you know, and, and have that drive to collaborate? I think that's a point that I'd like to speak on with you some more. Um, we might go to you, Joe. now. You specialise in leadership. So in your extensive experience, what have you seen to be the change in needs for women in impact-led business in regards to support for growth? And just before you answer that, Donna has just joined us. So if we can just say hello to Donna and I'll introduce Donna after Joe. you chat about this question. Does that sound okay? <laughs> yes, yes, that's fine. Um, and look, let me follow on from the point that Emma was making, because when I first um, started in a leadership role, um, you know, it was in a very small community organisation. And again, it was my community and I wanted to make a contribution when my children were growing up. And I think, you know, I had a kind of a sideways entrance in rather than actually having to apply for the job. Um, and, you know, at the time, there was just, all the books on management and leadership, you know, just didn't kind of feel comfortable. And then I discovered this amazing woman, Sally Helgeson, who'd written The Female Advantage, Women's Ways of Leadership. And what she pointed out in her research was that all the management studies were actually done on, done on men as managers. So hence, hence the models were privileging sort of those more authoritarian sort of gung-ho, be the leader model, which is exactly what we're worried about with AI now and, and the embedded bias in data. So it has always been, even though it wasn't in computerised machine learning data. But Sally Helgeson's work was brilliant because she really called out successful women leaders um, including people like Frances Hesselbein, whose big strengths were the soft skills that, you know, mm -hmm. she was then pointing out are actually the hard skills, how to relate, how to collaborate, how to develop others. And Sally wrote about the web of inclusion and women as everyday revolutionaries. Um, and it's exactly what Emma Kate was talking about. 
but it means that we've never been the main game. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in terms of there's a lot of change going on in that relationship and networking and how women help each other. Not all women, but most women do do that. Let's, you know, kind of safety in numbers. Let's work on this together and the collaboration opportunities. But the systems haven't changed. Mm. And the data tells us that the the power and the control of the systems, you know, are still in traditional male hands and that and it's also you know particular types of men that still dominate and we don't have the diversity even though we know that now more than ever we need that diversity and creativity and innovating and regenerative ways of thinking rather than power and control and you know, you would look at the last federal budget and that said it all. Having gone through COVID and suddenly caring was an essential skill <laughs> and childcare was needed, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, but now we're back to business now. So sorry, women, off you go. <laughs> you know, there's other more important issues. So, you know, from the who's making the decisions about supporting women in business We've still got a way to go. We've got lots of allies in amongst our brothers in the and you know the, our men folk and us women who've raised the men to think differently. I think my generation would be feeling you know we have made an impact, um, but you know we still are not there. And um, you know there's just too many recent events. So it is interesting to ask, so where is the gender lens being applied? Because it's not enough to say, oh, we're just making it equal opportunity for all. Because until we are influencing the decision making and now with, you know, um, um, artificial intelligence and the embedded bias. And if you haven't read Caroline Criado Perez on Invisible Women, her research and data or just watch her on YouTube. She is amazing. But how much is still a systemic bias Mm. against women? So, you know, it's up to us to build the ecosystem um, and continue generosity. And that's why, to me, this is a fabulous opportunity to talk to, you know, women that I don't meet in my everyday life um, and share what we've learned over over the journey. Yeah, thanks, Joe. That's exactly, I think, why I wanted to start this conversation because we can do all the good we want in the world, but we're still operating in a system that doesn't serve that and let, yeah, so what you say really resonates. Did anyone want to talk to that, Cinnamon, Emma? Donna, I'm going to introduce you, but you can also freely talk to you. I don't know. I just sort of, I understand that we are, we live in a patriarchy and capitalism is the tool. And, you know, at Food Connect, we've always subscribed to the to the, um, the concept that Buckminster Fuller put forward way back when is in that, you know, if um, that you can't fix the existing system, you have to basically create a new model um, so that it's sitting there ready for when that system collapses. And it is in a state of collapse and decline. We have to accept that. We're in late-stage capitalism there's a whole bunch of things being being revealed and being made very transparent about how corrupt and, and um, how it benefits only a few. So for me, I think the subtle way that women work is that we, we are creating a new system um, and it doesn't subscribe to the pillars of 
late stage capitalism at all. We actually do it very differently. And COVID and any natural disaster that we go through demonstrates that really clearly um, in terms of the networks that kick in um, and all the you know social capital and all of that goodwill that kicks in that's unpaid but so valued mm. um, and keeps things functioning. So I think, yes, I, I, I see where you're coming from, Joe, in that we're not being recognised in the current system, but I don't think we ever will be. You know, it's sta- so far stacked against us that we actually need to step up and, and take the lead and set up a new system so that um, when patriarchy does fail, um, we're ready to, to take over. Yeah. <laughs> it's uncomfortable, though, Emma-Kate. I don't, like, it's, it is to step out of a lens that has always been and then stand in your own power and then have to back that power. That's unsettling, you know, but so very necessary. Donna, thank you for joining us. I apologise for the technical difficulties. Everyone, Donna Desuart, did I say that right? Yeah. Is Chief Executive Officer of Fitted for Work, which is a non for, not-for-profit dedicated to helping women in Australia experiencing disadvantage to get work, keep work, and navigate through working life with success. So, Donna, I actually think if, if not to put you on the spot, but if you're ready, I think the next question is really pertinent for you because your work centres around helping women into the workforce and the dignity that that brings. So I was wondering if you could speak about some of your strategies for supporting the women that you work with and it might help um, all of us to understand where women come from. Well, thank you so much for having me and I apologise for being for being late. It wasn't for lack of trying. What I think uh, the last, um, particularly the last 10 months or so have shown us is that um, certainly through firstly the bushfire um, crisis that we had and now a pandemic, is it's shone a light on every crack we have in society. And behind every crack stands a woman. So, you know, whether you're talking about childcare, whether you're talking about aged care, whether you're talking about casualisation of the workforce, whether you're talking about low superannuation balances, whether you're talking about, you know, the majority of people who work in the caring industries, um, before, as I said, behind every crack, I believe, um, there's a woman, and we're certainly seeing that at Fitted for Work. So traditionally, our work has always been with women in crisis. So we, as women, I have to say, not all of us, but a lot of us are not great at putting our hand up and asking for help. We often wait. We think we have to find the answers ourselves. Um, and we often see women literally Googling how to live out of their car by the time they come and ask us for help. We've always known that if we could get to women much earlier, um, that would make a massive difference. We've worked with women who are aged from 16 through to 65 plus. We are seeing women 60 plus and certainly 50 plus. Those numbers are growing exponentially. Um, That's a very real concern for us. Um, the spotlight is certainly on uh, the 50-plus women um, through this pandemic. Um, and I think what what we are seeing is we're seeing a whole new group of women that are trying to access our services who've never had to access our services before. Um, at the moment, everything is in a little bit of a holding pattern because of JobKeeper, JobSeeker. When that stops in March, we see an avalanche of women coming our way. 
Um, we know that a lot of the jobs that those women had will no longer exist. Um, we're certainly um, experiencing that um, here in Victoria. Um, so the way that we work with women traditionally has always been to uh, help them get ready for work, help them find work and then help them stay in work. And every woman's journey into work is very different. So we'll work with women who haven't finished high school and we'll work with women with PhDs. The reasons why women find themselves in places of disadvantage, it basically covers the whole spectrum of human experience. And every woman's journey is very individual to her. So our services need to be tailored to where a woman's at in that journey. But the, the biggest common denominator across all groups is, and across all ages, is confidence and self-esteem. And I think we're going to see a lot of women come out of, um, well, we've got a way to go, I know, through the pandemic, but when we start to see things open up, we're going to see a lot of traumatised women, um, particularly those women where, you know, they've been in vulnerable situations where they've experienced domestic violence and so on. And, um, you know, to the point of the other speakers, um, from what I heard, you know, the budget was a, a very clear message to the women of Australia, you know, that we're only worth 0.006% of the entire budget over a four-year period um, because the, the central issues uh, that, that women are facing now have not been addressed. Um, our mission has always been to help women into work and stay in work. It's not about job creation, but we've had to do a little bit of mission creep um, to start looking at those issues because the job creation opportunities just haven't been made. We're certainly hoping that some of the state governments um, will take this opportunity and use it. But I, I think it is about um, an ecosystem that needs to support a woman. We just look at the employment part but that's only one part of it. We know that another part of it might be childcare. We know that another part of it might be health and wellbeing. You know, uh, we know that a, a big part of it is financial security. It is housing. Um, so I think there's a big opportunity for a collective voice um, to come together for women working in the community sector to say, this is not good enough. You know, um, we need to find uh, we need to find real pathways to help women because otherwise, you know, in the next 10 to 15 years, we're going to have women of um, my age, uh, we're going to have a pandemic of homeless women. Yeah, I, and, and Joe was just speaking a, a little bit about that age group just before we went on air and um, I wonder if, Joe, you have some more to add to that because it is, it is it's, a, it's a big issue that we're at mm. the moment pretending isn't happening. Yeah. You know, so yeah, Joe, can you add to that? Thank you, Carly, and hello, Donna. And um, just as a little aside, I had the joy of making a tiny contribution to setting up Fitted for Work with um, oh. Marion Webster and sharing our volunteer management program to help with um, your startup and some of our uh, business models. And again, I think that's what a lot of women in leadership have done is actually, you know, contribute, share to help grow the ecosystem rather than themselves as a competitive, independent entity. And look, you know, one of the things I think is really important is that we've got to have this layered approach. So whilst we invest in, and as a member of Melbourne Women's Fund, you know, invest in initiatives that are going to look after women with the problems now, we have to look up 
to the systems that are perpetuating those problems. So we equally need to work together and collaborate with those who are in advocacy positions or working for policy change, um, legislative change, like superannuation, like the maternity leave issues, you know, um, with a really good colleague, Avril Henry, who you may know from Avril Henry and Associates, and I certainly recommend her books to you as well, um, and her GLAM leadership program. She and I sort of had worked on for a couple of years, you know, trying to get this tiered approach to say, well, where are the advocacy points? But let me tell you, and I won't name the particular group, but she and I then, and she's really brilliant on the numbers, I'm never good on the numbers, but um, we pitched to a major business conference for a, a panel conversation about these structural issues which hold women back from contributing to the economy. And, you know, we were told that there would be no interest in hearing a group of women talking about women's issues at a business conference. Now, we were not pitching this as as women's issues. We were saying these are structural barriers to the economy progressing um, and all the evidence supports it. But again, the decision makers can't see it. So, you know, we've got to, st you know, really keep, you know, partnering vertically as well as, you know, horizontally um, to push up the messages and the, you know, the data, the stories, the the initiatives that are effective, to demand that there be change at the political level, you know. And at times we've seen that when women politi politicians, you know, of all um, sources, gather together and pick up an issue, they actually can influence change but we don't actually call it out often enough. Up until now, we've been happy to let it go on sort of behind closed doors. But we actually need to now call it out when it is happening and when it's not happening. So, you know, I do think whilst we keep responding and helping every woman who's important, we've got to pull out what's the theme here mm. and where is the locus of change. And if it's a piece of legislation, we need to make sure that the effort's going there. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Emma Kate Cinnamon, did you want to add anything? Um, I'm just loving Jacinda Ardern, really. <laughs> She's my hero in terms of, you know, women in leadership. <laughs> and the wellbeing economy and, and starting to talk about notions around that. I think, you know, she's bringing that, um, those connections to light. So I really appreciate her. Yeah, um, I agree. I think, um, I think, you know, that, that the old saying, you can't be what you can't see and um, seeing more women in leadership and, and really, like, challenging the patriarchy in such a obvious way as Jacinda Ardern is, um, is very inspiring. Um, and it's rewarding for her. I mean, she just got re-elected on, on a landslide. Mm. So it works. Mm. If you take it up and you present the issues and, you know, don't get called a crazy cat lady, then, um, you know, it's working. It's working for everybody. And I think that's that's the lesson that a lot of men in power need to um, need to check. They need to check their privilege and they need to have a look at the evidence that's coming from around the world. And we can see that through the response to COVID. A lot of the women-led countries are, um, around the world that are responding to COVID have responded in the best way. Their countries are back on track. Um, and then you compare that to the US and the UK and, you know, it's a no-brainer. So 
Yeah, it's definitely like, you know, it's so simple, but we have to be our own voice. Like, you know, no one else is going to speak up. It's like, okay, we need to keep backing ourselves and shouting and shouting and shouting. And we've got the action behind us to prove that we can do it, you know. Um, and, and that starts with our own relationships with the mm-hmm. blokes around us, you know. And, you know, I actively pull Robert up because, you know, we're partners in business and in life. And we have a pact that if any of us, either of us have asked to speak on a panel, um, that the first thing we ask is, you know, who are the other panellists? Is it, is it, you know, is there equal representation, female and male? And we even go to the point now where we ask, are there any Indigenous females on the panel? Because, um, because we just want to take it to the next level. And I think you've got to just constantly challenge yourselves and challenge your, that privilege that is often so blind to the people in power. Um, you know, not just political power, but cultural power. Um, there's lots of different types of power out there. Um, and I think women have a real role to play in, in leading that cultural revolution. Yeah, I agree. Cinnamon, let's for, because we spoke before and you were like, I don't, I don't see this so much in my industry, which is refreshing. And I would really like to let's highlight that for a little bit and see if we can pick up on some of those themes that um, are very gender neutral, you know. So um, I guess my question is, you know, you are a passionate advocate for building a strong network for social enterprise and impact led business. So how do you build and sustain an active and healthy community regardless of gender? Like how are we going to have this active, healthy community? Yeah, great question. And I was reflecting on this before um, before today's session, and I was thinking that there are two key influences on my thinking, and one of those is um, the mo- a model of collaborative practice. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, that I've been um, fortunate to learn from the late Glenn Oker, who. Um, established the Group Work Institute of Australia, now known as the Group Work Centre, and she developed a model of collaborative practice for organisations. And it's like the layers of an onion. And at the core, you have the values and principles that underpin the work. And I think in social enterprise, those values are often very clear and very much about, you know, the well-being of, of all. Um, and the middle rings are our own self-awareness and our own skill sets around um, interpersonal communication. Glenn calls them the micro skills um, around how we communicate every single day with everybody that we interact with. Um, and then the outer ring is, is the organisational processes that we use, including collaborative decision making or conflict resolution and planning, meeting processes and all the ways that we interact. So for me, those have been absolutely, that's been the guiding model for how I lead my organisation. But I also need to acknowledge, and this is the second theme, is um, the importance of self-organising systems. Communities, networks, families, organisations, you know, the, for me, leadership must support a self-organising model. Um, we see in nature ecosystems are self-organising also to our social systems, or they can be. Um, and I think that's where you get resilience and diversity and growth. And, you know, um, it's just so I see myself, even though I'm the CEO of my organisation, I don't think I could control 
the organisation even if I tried. So I think of myself as someone who intervenes in the system in order to help it become more of what it's wanting to become rather than me trying to guide it to be something. So those have really informed my practice. Um, So, yeah, I do think social enterprise is a space um, that is, you know, obviously full of values, um, full of relationships, full of collaboration um, and working uh, in the social enterprise community more generally in Victoria, I see that that's a, a, a very um, supportive network and supportive community. Mm. Thanks, Cinnamon. Yeah, collaboration, it comes out again. The collaborative again, nature of it. Again, over makes, and over. <laughs> makes you feel like you don't have to step in and have this ultimate power. The power is with everyone within. And that's, mm. yeah, that's ultimately, I feel like, what we're speaking about when women work together with men as well but like it's that collaborative approach as opposed to that top down type working what are some initiatives that you know of that are directly supporting women in business and this could be in the form of mentoring programs networks or grant opportunities because i think there's a lot of women that are coming to these panels to learn how they can help themselves and what they're doing um so i'd love to hear from each of you just some standouts and we can put them in the podcast as well Emma-Kate? Well, I mentioned some earlier, but uh, the first one that comes, I mean, I wish I had some kind of amazing mentoring panel (laughs) when I was going through all my angst leading organisations. But, um, but yeah, there's now um, like accelerators and incubators, um, seed funders like CEO, um, I know Impact Queensland, um, the fund that's going to be launched in March as a specific focus on female-led impact businesses um, and also in terms of um, philanthropy and su- support. Um, there is a Women's Giving Circle in Brisbane. It's largely anonymous though, so, you know, you kind of have to ask around <laughs> to tap into that knowledge base. But they're the, they're the initial ones that come to mind. And I guess, um, you know, here in Brizzy, a lot of the female social entrepreneurs are very familiar with each other and tend to bounce stuff off each other in a in a very informal way with some some pretty nice blokes you know surrounding us as well it's quite a night like cinnamon mentioned it's a very collaborative space and we do like to see each other succeed and we do support each other that's that's all that comes to mind for me at this point yeah thanks emma kate that's great joe Well, yes, I'm in Victoria. So the Victorian government has committed um, over a number of years now to a social enterprise strategy and um, growing social enterprise. And there's um, the social enterprise network. And I've noticed too that um, the federal government has got a program called Boosting Female Founders Initiative. So I don't know whether um, anybody's had any engagement with that. But I certainly know that, you know, women that um, I've kind of worked with um, sort of with some mentoring myself is, you know, it is challenging to find those funding opportunities that don't require hours and hours of paperwork and preparation because I mean, much of the granting processes are still risk averse and, you know, it's those networks that will do what Warren Buffett said and have confidence in the person with the ideas and their track record to go from idea to execution and be able to work with 
failing forward. So, you know, that it's, an idea might still be a good idea, but you've got to sort of pivot as everybody's done in COVID and do it slightly differently and back the women um, founders to do that. I mean, the statistics are that it's only 3% of global venture capital funding actually went to women in 2019. So, you know, we are a long way, and I know the sort of the Women Donors Network, the Melbourne Women's Fund, you know, there are more and more initiatives, there's giving circles that are really trying to bring the gender lens to the fore because we, we can't hope that merit will be catch up. You know, Wendy McCarthy and my generation, Susan Ryan, you know, we all thought education was going to be the answer, that we would open up education and on a merit system, women would then rise to the top and we haven't. And in some cases, we've gone backwards, even though we're so highly educated mm. and particularly in the caring professions as well, very highly educated and yet the poorest paid. So, you know, I do think it is still about networks and I think, you know, clever use of, you know, LinkedIn and some of the online platforms um, as important to get yourself connected to who can I talk to because although the collaboration is important, business strategy is really important too. You have to strategically be able to work out how you're going to get from here to there and how you'll know you know, whether things are on track or not because there's people relying on you being successful. If you're trying to benefit others in the community, we can't just kind of throw darts. You know, we have to actually be very intentional. So we do need all that good business mentoring as well. And there is lots of that, you know, out there. But because you're in sort of the less well-paid spheres, you know, I encourage women to speak up and ask for scholarships and ask mm. for not-for-profit rates. Um, and sometimes it's just that people haven't thought of doing it, you know. Um, if there's something on at the, um, what's it, the Australian Institute of Management these days is the um, Institute of Management Leadership and you want to attend, you should ask, is there a scholarship rate um, or a not-for-profit rate? Um, and, again, approach women because there's most, you know, women who, you know, have got a track record, who are happy to donate some time and, you know, provide some specific direction to what people are wanting to do and share their experience. Mm. Um, and because Zoom has just changed everything, hasn't it, in terms of getting like-minded, interested people with shared interests together for, a, a, you know, a little pocket of time and see what you can share with people. Yeah, thanks, Jo. Donna, do you have any advice for our women? Look, I, I, I concur with what Emma-Kate said and, and Jo. Um, one strategy that I found really useful is to develop your own board of directors. So the idea that no one person is going to be an expert in everything, but develop that board of directors that's going to help, that are going to help you. So... Um, you know, over the years I've delivered quite a few talks to university students and so on who are really interested in getting into the sector and often we see a lot of heart but not a lot of business acumen 
you know, you, it's great that you've got the passion and the vision, but you also need the business acumen as well. And um, certainly when you're looking at the community sector, and I come from a corporate background originally, um, you know, money is seen as something a little bit dirty and it's not. It's just green energy that we need to, to keep going. So I think it's really important to have that board of directors that um, elevate all those different skills that you need, whether it's, you know, the interpersonal or whether it is around, you know, um, creating a budget that's actually going to deliver. Mm. I, I like green energy, Donna. I like that as a, it is, it's just the green energy we need. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so true. Cinnamon, um, any advice to finish before we ask everyone what they're thinking? I'd add that um, local governments often have initiatives. So in um, in Moreland, where series is based, there's the Moreland Business Women's Network. Um, and I've been to a few of their events and they're always very well attended. Um, and also I would encourage uh, women to build their own networks, look around you and find um, the colleagues and peers, as Emma Kate said, and go to lunch or go to coffee and just hang out. Um, I established uh, or joined an informal network of um, CEOs of precinct-based organisations, so people who are running community centre kind of organisations, and that's been fantastic to talk about what it's like to run a business within the context of a community place. Um, yeah, so I don't think anybody external could have established that network for me or provided that opportunity for me. So it was about finding those colleagues and initiating the connection. Yeah, thanks, Cinnamon. I've never been so inspired as when I've sat around with women who are in business doing good stuff. You know, that's where we get our energy from. So yeah, that makes so much sense to create your own network. This will conclude the formal part. So I just want to thank you so much for our panelists for joining us today. The conversation has been really insightful. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below. And remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.